Hello, everybody. It's Melissa. I'm back, and I'm ready to answer some of your questions. I put up on the Instagram um, a week ago, or maybe it's been two weeks ago by now, um, a little thing in my stories asking for uh, questions from you guys because I wanted to do a Q&A episode. And so here we are. Uh, so I don't know if there's anything really to say to start this episode off. Might just jump into it. Um, oh, except uh, I posted on Instagram earlier a little bit of a an emo post about how I've been having a struggle lately, feeling pretty lonely and you know, just the usual mess of emotions that goes along with struggling socially. I mean, it's nothing new, but um, there are times when it wanes and it doesn't feel as bad and it's, you know, I appreciate my alone time a lot more and I'm like vibing with my, with my isolation, you know, and then there's other times like lately where I just feel like I'm missing out on so much and seeing how easily the social things come to others and feeling just so drastically different from other people in that way um, is hard sometimes. So anyway, I posted about that on the Instagram uh, page today and uh, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has reached out so far and commented on that post. It's it's nice to know that people relate, although I wish you guys didn't relate to this particular thing because it's awful, but it is good to know that, you know, I'm not the only one, you know, it's sort of a double-edged sword with those kind of things. It's like, oh, I'm sorry you're struggling, but also it makes me feel better that I'm not alone in this struggle. So you guys are great. Um, I always feel weird posting stuff like that too, because I think I feel... I know this is related to my upbringing. I'm sorting all of this out, but like really, uh, when I was growing up, I was often made to feel like if I had any sort of problem at all, I was attention seeking. And so it's made me, that's followed me into adulthood and that's caused me to sometimes really just not talk about things that are bothering me because I'm afraid someone will think that I'm just trying to get attention, uh, which has not served me well on the mental health side of things. So <laughs> I'm trying to get better about that. So, um, yeah, vulnerable posts today, but I did feel better after posting it and, uh, hearing from some of you guys. So again, thank you. Anyway. Okay. So let's hop into your guys's questions. I have about, let me see, I have 12 questions to answer. So I'm going to try not to get too long winded on these answers. Uh, so this episode doesn't go too terribly long, but, uh, you know, sometimes I have no concept of how long I'm talking. So <laughs> buckle in, it might be a little bit longer of an episode. We'll see. Um, so first question is, how did you let people know you were autistic when you were finding out? So I initially only told my partner. Uh, that was a couple of days after I started researching and really started to believe that I was autistic. Uh, so I told my partner first. And then uh, when I was waiting for my diagnosis appointment or my evaluation, um, I only told... 
um, a small handful of people, um, my mom, my son, who is a little bit older, he's 24, um, who else did I tell? I think that's it. Oh, I, I, I told my friend Monica who lives up in Washington and, and I told my friend Liz who lives here. Um, and I actually, I think I'm going to have Liz on the podcast soon because she just received her autism diagnosis as well, which is the reason I told her about my suspicions that I was autistic because I wasn't going to tell anyone outside of my close family, you know, people. Um, and she brought up some stuff that she was dealing with. And I, you know, when you start really learning about autism and you sort of look around you and you're like noticing that some people in your life that are close to you, um, might also be autistic. Well, she was one of the people that I was like, thinking that about and so then she started bringing up some stuff about some struggles she was having at work and and I sort of uh like brought it into the conversation that I was seeking an autism diagnosis and uh sort of posed the question to her like do you think this could be something that's true for you too and it kind of just went from there and we we had a moment and yeah so anyway I'm excited I think she's going to come talk about her experience and that'll be really cool. But, um, anyway, so yeah. Uh, so that's it. I mean, I pretty much just with those people, I just told them, I mean, I just was like, Hey, you know, I, I think I might be autistic and I'm getting an evaluation done. And that was that. And they were like, Oh, okay. You know, and you know, there was discussions around it and stuff, but I mean, I knew that the people around me, those people would understand because they all know me very well. And all of them were just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I can see how you would think that and how that would make sense for you and all of that. So that was fine. Um, after I got diagnosed, I felt more comfortable coming out to more people. Uh, I did have a little Chinese struggle with that though at first and wondering if that was, I mean, once it's out there, it's out there. The cat's out of the bag, as they say. Um, so I did, I did an episode, I think at one point on, um, yeah, I did uh, on my whole like coming out process, uh, coming out autistic. So that's an episode that exists if you haven't heard that one yet. But uh, I basically just made a, an announcement on social media, on Instagram only, um, not on Facebook. I don't ever post on Facebook anymore. Um, so I don't know. I didn't really go that direction yet. Maybe I will post on there someday. There are people on Facebook that follow me who don't follow me on Instagram. So maybe those people don't even know Um but yeah, then I just decided, okay, I guess if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And I made a, made a post and that was that. And so far it's been fine. I still do struggle a bit with, um, letting people know that I'm autistic who, 
haven't found out through that online forum, you know, when I started my new job or when I've, um, you know, started school and there have been a couple of times where I could have let people know in those instances and I have chosen not to. I've kept it to myself in those moments, uh, which kind of bothers me because I really thought I would be more comfortable being open about it and just being like, oh, I'm autistic and being proud. Not that I'm not that not disclosing means you're not proud, but you know what I mean? Like just being out there with it and confident about it. And, and I'm not as much as I thought I would be. I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast too. It's like, oh man, just because there is such a stigma guys. And once people know, they know and they might look at you or treat you differently and I'm really terrified of that so I'll keep you guys updated on my whole like coming out as it evolves over the next who knows how long um but yeah that's how I let people know the people closest to me I told them face to face um or over the phone if they don't live here like my mom and my best friend um and the rest of the people found out via social media so um that's that okay question two how long did you wait for your diagnosis? Um, I thankfully only waited about six months. I made my appointment in January, I believe. And my appointment was in July. So, uh, I am very, very lucky that I was able to find the place that I did that was able to work around my income at that time because at the time I was unemployed, it was COVID, it was things were a struggle bus over here financially. So I could not afford to pay a couple thousand dollars. I ended up going to GRASP, that's uh, G-R-A-S-P. I've talked about them a lot on the podcast. They were wonderful. And I know now they have a super long waiting list and... You know, if you guys can't find a place to get diagnosed, I would recommend reaching out to them and at least getting on their waiting list. Then you're at least on the waiting list somewhere um, while you seek maybe other options. And you can always call them and cancel if you end up not needing that appointment. But um, yeah, it was only about six months. And I'm so, so grateful for that because the waiting process was so, so difficult. I just, I hate not having an answer, even though I knew deep down the answer. I just, I felt in flux and I felt in limbo and I don't handle that well. So yeah. Question three, do you have any stories from your young childhood where looking back, it's like, oh, yep, autistic. (laughs) Um... You know, I was trying to think of of specific things. And yeah, there are some that that clued me in that a lot of these I didn't really realize that they weren't just normal things that all kids did uh, until I started looking into autism more. And I was like, oh, I guess not every kid does that. Uh, one thing was... Um, repeatedly watching the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, I know there are a lot of kids who aren't autistic who do that. They'll have a favorite movie or a favorite show, uh, and they'll want to watch it repeatedly. Uh, but I took it next level. There were, uh, a couple of movies that I just 
would not stray from. I have, (laughs) I could probably still recite the entirety of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, (laughs) which was my go-to movie for probably a good year. I probably watched it every day, you guys. Um, So it's ingrained in my memory. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So good. Pee-wee, his bike gets stolen. He goes to look for it at the Alamo. It is a big adventure. (laughs) I know some people are really freaked out by Pee-wee Herman, but I loved him. I just always thought he was so wonderfully weird, um, and I kind of just related to him. So anyway, so there was that, and also reading the same book over and over and over again. I still have the book. Uh, It's a poetry book. It was probably a little bit old for me. Like the, my reading level, I started reading super young and I read at a very high level pretty early on. So I read this book now and I'm like, I was reading this when I was like pretty young and it's pretty deep. Um, but I remember reading that same book over and over and over. Um, having my own, my like favorite objects that were really precious to me and almost like, um, like anthropomorphizing them, like giving them identities. Um, especially with my stuffed animals, I had names and like full on identities and like life backstories for all of my stuffed animals. I would line them all up. They needed to be in a certain order. I would sometimes rearrange them because I would feel bad if like maybe one was sitting in the same spot for too long, you know, just things like this where I I look back now and I'm like, Oh, that's probably not a thing that all kids do either. Um, Oh, what else? Um, I know there's more than, oh yeah, just like my general demeanor as a child, I think too, uh, being very, um, very much a loner, very much sort of not super interested in having friends, uh, liking to just sort of retreat to the library at recess and sit and read or sit and listen to the same um, book on tape for the entire recess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think those are the big ones. And also some stuff that my mom told me that I don't necessarily remember, but her just saying how I always kind of had an aversion to like touch and cuddling. I'm still like that. I'm just very like weird about that kind of stuff sometimes, um, because it's overwhelming to me, uh, not having great emotional regulation as a kid. I still don't, um, having what I now know are meltdowns. Uh, from a young age, and my mom just thought they were, you know, regular old run-of-the-mill, like, temper tantrums, or she didn't really know what was happening, but, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think those are the biggest ones that stick out in my mind, um, there's probably more, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but I just can't think of any more right now. Uh, Okay. Question four. Parenting struggles. Well, this person abbreviated struggles to strugs, S-T-R-U-G-Z, which I love. Parenting struggs. Is this just them being a kid? 
Or is it their autism? Or is it my autism? And I love this question and I could seriously make a whole whole episode just on this question because this is something that shows up in my life all of the time as a parent. Um, Even before I knew I was autistic... I would have this, I mean, ever since I found out my daughter was autistic, then it was like, oh my gosh, is this behavior, like, related to something she's having a hard time processing? Is it her autism? Is it, she overwhelmed? Is she, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, is this a behavior that needs to be put in check? Or is this, you know, like, it is a huge struggle. And now that I know I'm autistic as well, and I'm getting to know my own um, moods and struggles and, you know, things that I have a difficulty coping with sometimes, um, or ways that I communicate or don't communicate sometimes, or ways that I get confused sometimes about other people's, um, uh, demeanor or communication or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't, uh, I can speak on this. I don't have any advice for how to like figure it out because I don't know. Uh, like I said, it's, it's a struggle. And especially now that my daughter is becoming a teenager, you know, she's 13 and there are a lot of behaviors that are like just related to being a teenager. And then there are some that are, you know, related more to her neurodivergence and it is hard it's hard when there's a conflict or something happening and I'm like is this me or her and (laughs) when your whole family is neurodivergent it's also hard because you don't have a person as like a sounding board because we all sort of have our own things that we deal with um interpersonally and you know being a parent it is an interpersonal relationship, you know, it's, it is in a way, um, you know, you're building a relationship with this person who you're raising and, you know, I'm, I'm admittedly not the best at relationships (laughs) and, you know, neither is my partner. I mean, we do, we do well with each other, but like outside of that, it's, it's a struggle. And, you know, even with each other, sometimes we get our lines crossed because we're both neurodivergent. And, uh, so yeah, basically this is a struggle. This is a huge struggle. I think, um, you know, I've thought at times about whether or not like family therapy would help like for all of us to be able to see someone and discuss things openly and whatever. But then I think like, yeah, but any therapist who we find is, is going to be neurotypical, I'm sure, or not really used to working with families who have, who are all autistic or neurodivergent in some way. And so it makes me be like, ah, I don't know if that would actually really help. Um, we were going to a place, I want to do an episode on this. I'm going to do an episode on this soon where my daughter was in 
a program for autistic kids and they offered at that place um, the option for family therapy and we didn't take advantage of it at that time because my daughter was just too young and we felt like we had a lot on our plate and we needed to get through some things first before we started on like working on the family side of things and then she's no longer going there anymore now so um so it never really got to happen within that realm although I'm not sure I would have wanted it to happen in that realm because it was more like a it was like a more like ABA type of vibe in that place um which looking back on now makes me cringe uh but like I said I want to do an episode on that because I've been thinking a lot about that lately about my journey with being an autism mom not knowing I was actually an autistic mom at the same time, which is weird. Uh, Okay, sorry. I feel like I just rambled on that one a lot. I'm sorry if that answer or whatever was not very concise. Um, And then I had to, (laughs) now I'm thinking back on what I just said. I'm like, was it horrible? I don't know. Uh, Okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay, Uh, number five. Do you have imposter syndrome and wonder if you were just um, misdiagnosed? Um, I don't. I think there have been brief moments in time where I have been a little bit in disbelief and maybe have briefly wondered and those are mostly moments when I start comparing myself to other autistic people and their experiences and start um letting my internalized ableism creep in and then I have to remind myself that uh my view of autism what I have been shown it looks like uh is not the only way that autism exists in the world and that just because I may not look like that stereotypical presentation doesn't mean I'm not autistic and then uh and that goes away I mean it's really just been a couple of times where I've briefly been like really am I really But honestly, like, since I went through my whole diagnostic process and the more I get to know, um, more autistic people, I honestly, like, just don't really get that anymore. Um, so yeah, that's that. Number six, what did the assessment process look like via telehealth? I have my first appointment next week. Congrats, person who wrote this. I didn't want to say anyone's names because I didn't want to, you know, I want to respect privacy and everything. Um... But congratulations, um, they probably already had their first appointment by now, so I hope it went fine. Um, the assessment process via telehealth was fine. I mean, there was a lot of emails leading up to it of, uh, her sending me papers to fill out, so many papers to fill out and questionnaires and whatever, and me sending the stuff back to her, and it was, the prep work was a lot, um, the actual appointments were fine, they were... Um, a couple of hours in length. I had three, three of them, and uh, it was basically just over Zoom. It was like a regular Zoom appointment. Um, there were um, 
it was a lot of just like Q&A and the only thing that I needed to do where she had to like show me things on the screen was during the IQ test where she was showing me certain pictures, certain words, certain puzzles, all these things that I had to try and figure out. Um, so that's the only time we like did a screen sharing type of thing in my assessment. Otherwise it was just talking, going over my forms that I had sent in, um, talking about my past, talking about my present, um, answering more questions, uh, you know, just sort of a usual Zoom type of situation. So um, it was fine. I kind of wish I would have been able to do it in person just because I was really afraid that over Zoom that the person wouldn't be able to really see me <laughs> for, you know, exactly. Like, okay, so like during my assessment a lot, I do a lot of stimming with my hands and I was doing that a lot during the assessment, but she couldn't see because my hands are down in my lap. They're not up in front of my face and the camera, you know what I mean? So it was just little things like that where I'm like, okay, she's not going to be able to take in the full situation that is Melissa. She's just going to see me from like the chest up basically. Um, but it's fine. I think my, my worries were unfounded because ultimately like she was really good at what she was doing and she got to the bottom of everything she needed to know. And, you know, these people are professionals. If you're going to a good place, they are professionals. They know what they're doing. They've done this before and they know the questions to ask and the things to look for. Uh, so, um, I hope your first appointment went well, person update me. <laughs> um, number seven, do you ever wish that you wouldn't have gotten a formal diagnosis? Um, no, I've never once wished that. I am super grateful I was able to get a diagnosis. I don't think, not that I can recall, I don't think that there's ever been a moment where I've regretted getting it. I think it really solidified for me what my suspicions were telling me already. Um, it made me feel emboldened in my, um my self-diagnosis, it made me feel validated in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think if I wouldn't have gotten it, I still would have just chronically been questioning and flip-flopping back and forth because that's what happened during the whole six months I was waiting was me just being like, what if I'm making this up? What if this? What if that? What if I don't get a diagnosis, you know? And so getting that verification from someone who was very knowledgeable uh, made me feel like, okay, that's that. I guess what I suspected is right. I know myself. And I don't know why there was so much controversy inside my own mind <laughs> about my, my, uh, self-diagnosis. It was just me, you know, not, not trusting myself for some reason. Um, but yeah, anyway, 
I'm rambling. No, (laughs) I, I haven't ever wished that. And I'm curious why this person asked that. I'm wondering if they're struggling, um, on deciding whether or not they want a formal diagnosis. I know I have talked to one person who said that they were afraid to get a diagnosis because then it would be real and they would know and then they felt like they would like something might change like not in a positive way and I can totally understand that feeling I personally didn't have that feeling but I can see how someone might feel that way where it might be scary and it might be like if I get confirmation of this that means it is totally real and I do have to do something to deal with it or maybe I will have to tell people or you know all of the fears that might come along with receiving a diagnosis um such as this because it is a big deal you know it really is so uh anyway okay moving on uh question eight how did you cope before receiving your diagnosis um then this person wrote feeling much imposter syndrome I I think they were telling me that they're feeling much imposter syndrome uh which I think I kind of just answered this a second ago before receiving my diagnosis. I was kind of a basket case. I was really, really um, obsessive about researching. I just kept trying to prove to myself that I was autistic. I couldn't stop seeking out podcasts and blog posts and people on um, Instagram or TikTok or YouTube that I could relate to. It was just a constant quest to keep proving myself right. And it was so stressful. And even with all of the proof that I was gathering, uh, I still didn't trust myself and I still just could not wait for that appointment to come so I could get confirmation or not. And then I could move on with my life. Like I said a, a minute ago, like I just felt so in limbo so like just stuck (laughs) and man yeah it was a lot it really it really was a lot to take it was very stressful and I was having a lot of um a lot more emotional dysregulation than usual. It was a, it was a rough, I mean, if you listen to the podcast from start till now, and you listen to those episodes where I was waiting for my assessment, I don't know, cause I've never gone back and listened like that, but, um, I assume you'll come across some episodes that tell you kind of how I was feeling and how I was doing during those six months. Um, and, uh, Like I said, I'm just grateful that I only had to wait six months. I know people are waiting multiple years to get a diagnosis, and that is just wild to me. And I'm so sorry if you're in that boat because, man, I can't imagine waiting any longer than I already had to. Uh, Okay, number nine. Advice for how to identify support needs and advocate for them in work, school, etc., so I am not the best person to ask about this because I am still working on this myself. For one, I can't really figure out what my support needs even are. I keep telling myself I don't have any. I'm like, I'm fine. I don't have anything that I need at work or at school. 
but I suspect that I'm kind of lying to myself just based on the ways that I sometimes feel uh, after a day at work or, you know, after school sometimes. But I can't really figure out what I need or what those supports would look like. And I think this is just because I am 42 and I have gone this long without supports that I'm just used to like making it through and I don't know how to sort this all out. I don't really know how to take a step back and look at my environment and pick out the things that I need that will help me. Um, that's a thing that I probably need to work on, but I honestly haven't been. I've still just been sort of getting through. Uh, yeah, that's the best answer I can, I can give for that. I'm terrible at this with, when it comes to my daughter too. Like we always sit down for her IEP meetings and it's like, okay, like what resources can we implement? What things will she need? And I like, I'm never the one with the answers. It's always the school psychologist or the special education teacher, you know, all of these people who have experience in identifying, um, support needs help me choose what would be best and I need someone to sit down with me as an adult and help me do that I'm sure there are people that offer this service I just don't know about them uh if you know someone let me know um but yeah I'm sorry if I find any good like podcast episodes or any good resources on this I'll definitely post them for you guys because yeah that's a tough one I'm still very much working on that one myself. Uh, number 10. Uh, this person asked about my workout routine and said it's so hard to get myself to exercise. So exercise is a complicated topic for me because I do um, have a little bit of a um, obsessive compulsive relationship with movement in general. Um so this one's hard to answer because I don't really feel like I view this in a very healthy way. Sometimes I, okay, what's the best way to answer this? I think like for me, when I am really trying to look at exercise as a means of being healthy and not a means to anything else, any other end, rather than just being healthy and feeling good, I usually try and seek out activities that I enjoy and I know I'll be consistent with. Um, as opposed to things that give me a more... Uh, Things that I would um, attribute more to like an aesthetic goal, like, oh, I need to do these types of exercises so my body will look this way. Um, that's when I get sort of caught up in the unhealthy side of things. But like, I think just looking at exercise, this is what I try and do anyway, as a way to keep your body... Um, as a way to keep your body healthy. Uh, for example, 
one of the things I like to think about is, okay, so I'm 42. I know this might be harder if you're younger and you feel like you have a lot of time before you're going to be old. But for me, I am in my early 40s. My early 40s came really quick, guys. It happens fast. 20 more years, I'm going to be 62. Um, and I look around at people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, who have a hard time walking, have a hard time getting in and out of a chair, have a hard time, you know, and as they get older, it just gets worse and it just gets worse. And eventually they need a walker, they need a wheelchair, maybe they're bed bound. And me being a very movement oriented person, I don't like to sit still for very long. I can't imagine living um, in a body that can't move around freely as I wanted it to. Um, and I know that there are people who are younger, who are disabled, who are existing in bodies like that right now. And I don't mean to say anything that's like triggering to anyone or upsetting to anyone when I talk about this. Um, but the difference is, is that, um, you know, someone with a disability that has them in a wheelchair, uh, you know, often or probably all of the time, that's not a thing that could be prevented. It's, it wasn't a thing that you could have been proactive about. Whereas aging, we're all aging and we, you know, those of us who are able-bodied, um, as we age, we kind of have a choice and we can either keep our bodies moving, keep our bodies strong, keep our bodies flexible, uh, or, you know, if you don't work on those things more often than not, now, not always. There are some people that don't work out a day in their life and they do fine until they're old. But majority of the time, if you're not taking care of your body, if you're not moving, if you're not keeping yourself limber, if you're not um, maintaining your muscle mass, your body is going to start to break down on you at some point and you're going to start having all of these health and mobility issues. And that is the thing that I remind myself about most often because as I'm moving through my 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and 70s. I want to remain independent. I want to remain active. I want to remain strong. And I know that if I want to do that, I need to start now. And so when I feel like skipping a workout, or a couple workouts, or it's been a few days since I did anything, I'm always like, I'll think about some of these people who I've worked with. You know, I work in the medical field, and it's very sad to see where some people are at you know as they age and I just remind myself like that's what you're doing this for Melissa because an aesthetic goal is great thinking like oh I want my legs or my butt or my back to look good but that stuff's all gonna go away eventually like there are very few people that look hot into their old age you know (laughs) it's like your body is not going to be aesthetically pleasing until the day you die if you live to be old. It's just a fact. Um, at least, you know, not by societal standards, aesthetically pleasing, right? But the long-term goal for me is independence and movement and health into my older years. So I don't know if that's a thing that can motivate others. Um, 
but that's a really huge motivating factor for me and I hope that that helps at least a little bit. And also, like I said, seeking out things that you enjoy. I love roller skating. I love doing aerial arts. I love dancing. I love um, yoga. I love acro yoga. Like I've found uh, uh, rock climbing, like just all of these activities that really do keep you um, healthy and are really good for your body and your mind and your mental well-being as well um, that are super fun and enjoyable. And I look forward to doing them. Oh, hiking. Hiking's another one that I love. Yeah. So that's that. And oh, also it's a workout routine (laughs) and I love a routine. And once it's, once something's in my routine, it's pretty much set. So that's where my autistic like routine oriented brain works really well for me is that I'm used to working out certain days of the week at a certain time. And so it's just part of my routine. And so maybe if you're a very routine oriented person, which if you're autistic, you probably are. Um, you know, I'm curious if you've tried really seriously making it part of your routine, uh, and start small. You know, if you can just do 10 minutes a day, do that go up from there. Um, anyway, I had a lot to say on that because health and fitness has been, um, a long and winding (laughs) road of a journey for me. And if you don't know, I used to work in the fitness industry and it's just, it's a topic that I'm pretty passionate about, but I've also had kind of a weird and difficult relationship with. So anyway, that's that. Two more questions to go. Uh, would you ever do a big Zoom slash meetup with listeners? Oh boy. Um, I've thought about this actually. Uh, I've actually thought about starting a Patreon account and doing Zoom meetups on there for the Patreon subscribers. Um, but I'm sort of on the fence. I don't know. I Once I do something, I want to be able to stay committed to it. And I'm just worried that with the way my life is going to get busy with school really soon that I wouldn't be able to keep up with the demand of like trying to figure out Patreon things. Um, and I don't want to like disappoint anyone or fall off and, and you know, just, yeah. So I have thought about doing zoom meetups that way. We'll see if I decide to do that. If that ever happens. Um, I honestly like, I really don't like Zoom that much. I feel like it's hard for me to communicate, even harder than usual for me to communicate over Zoom. I don't know if it's because I I have a harder time reading people. Like I can't see your body language. I can't really see facial expressions as well. Um, and those are big things that I use when I'm communicating. Uh, so I don't know. TBD, I guess. We'll we'll find out if I'm ever going to do that. I would love to do an in-person meetup. That would be great. I don't know how to even like facilitate that uh, or how that would happen, but that would be my preferred method of meeting all of you guys. Gosh, I would love that. That would be amazing. That would be probably like the one social situation where I would be interacting with a ton of people that I would actually get excited about. Um, maybe someday we'll get to do that, guys. That would be awesome. And, uh, okay, last question. 
do you have any tips for starting a podcast? Yes, I do. Um, I'm not a super experienced or fancy podcaster, as you know, or as you may know. I just record into my phone. I sit in my closet and I push record and I don't edit these and I don't listen back to them and I just push uh, publish and (laughs) hope it was okay. I know that I will get too picky and too perfectionist if I try and do it any other way. I know this because I've done other podcasts in the past and I did get overwhelmed with how perfectionist I got with it. So I wanted to keep this one super casual. If you also have that type of personality, I would recommend doing it that way as well, depending on what your podcast is about. You know, if you have an interview style podcast, it's a little bit harder to do it that way. You might have to edit some things down. Um, But as far as like logistics go, choose a small area of your home if you're recording from home. Um, I choose my closet because it's a small area. There's a lot of clothes hanging in there so it acts as like a buffer for sound. If you're in a bigger room you're gonna get a lot of like echoey uh, sound and it's just not gonna sound as as good. Um, as far as equipment and stuff I can't give any uh, real advice on that. I just use my phone. Um, but the app I use is called Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. It's a free app. It's completely free to use. Um, and it's good. It's, it's easy to use too. I just, you, you log in and set up your account and then you literally just push record. And then when you're done, you push publish. And if you do need to edit some stuff out, I do believe that there's editing tools built right into the app. So you don't need any additional software for that. Um, and yeah, other than that, I would say just, uh, try and do it in a way that you (laughs) know that you'll be able to stick with. So for me, um, this might be this okay here's the thing so I'm really good with routine things I just said like a routine if I do something on a certain day at a certain time it becomes a part of my routine I'm just gonna do it that's not how I operate this podcast at all I just sort of like to record when I feel inspired to record but that's because I want it to be a little bit more authentic and not really super pre-planned uh but I would say like Um, if you're a person that really has trouble staying consistent with things, if they're not routine or scheduled, then, uh, try and stick to a schedule because recording a podcast consistently is hard. Um, this is me speaking from the point of view of someone who has ADHD and autism and sometimes gets easily distracted or time goes by and I don't realize how much time it's been since the last time I recorded and all of this stuff that can happen in my brain. And, uh, it can also just, it can, it can be, podcasting is, is, can be challenging in certain ways, I guess. Just being consistent, sticking with it long-term, um, talk about something that you really enjoy. I don't know if you want to talk about 
your autism or your autistic experience or your neurodivergent experience or whatever it is you want to talk about. I hope it is because we need more voices out there talking about that. And person who asked this question, if you do end up starting a podcast, please let me know no matter what it's about because I would like to listen to it. Uh, that's all of the advice I have about starting a podcast. <laughs> okay, so those are all of the questions. This turned out to be a pretty long episode, but it's okay. Um, that was a kind of a fun one. I kind of enjoyed answering some questions. I'm, uh, I don't feel like I'm the best, like, advice giver, uh, in the world, so sorry. There were questions that you guys wanted advice on and I didn't really deliver. Uh, that's because I'm not really great at giving advice, I don't think. Uh, so that's that. And I'm going to get on with my evening. It's almost five o'clock and I got some stuff I need to do before bedtime. I got to work pretty early tomorrow. Yeah. So, okay. If you guys want to reach out, I will leave my, uh, email address in the show notes. Also the Instagram handle, go follow over there if you want. Um, I am also on TikTok. I don't post as often on TikTok, but you can find me on there too. It's the same account name as the Instagram name. And if you can leave a rating or a review, that's much appreciated. It does help the podcast grow. Also via the link in my Instagram, maybe I'll put the link in my bio too for buy me a coffee. A few of you guys have bought me a coffee I don't drink coffee, but I will use the money for other things. It's great to, um, you know, I don't do this so I can make money, but like, it's, it's nice to have your work supported and people give you a little, a little tip now and again to be like, Hey, thanks for taking the time to, to talk to us. So I appreciate that. Thank you to everyone who has bought me a coffee so far. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Time to end it. I'll wrap it up. Thank you guys so much. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.